How's everybody doing this morning? Awesome. Great. Great to have you. Hey, I hope you grabbed, uh, this is our bulletin for this morning. Hope you grabbed this on your way in. If not, the ushers have more in the back. It just gives it a scenario to make notes, take notes if you so chose. Uh, and also there are some ground rules that we're going to get to a little bit later in the sermon. Um, but we are wrapping up Fight Club. It's, uh, this is our fourth, fourth week now. Bill got us kicked off and really established these kind of rules of engagement. Um, so take a look at those, please. And then we had Mike speak um, about Christianity and Islam and the, the, the dynamic there. And then last week, don't know if you were here, but if you missed it, Adam Barnett, a uh, new pastor that we've hired on recently, a great guy, uh, awesome, loves Jesus. He spoke about racism. And so if you missed any of those, I would say go out onto our website, rcctulsa.org, and you can listen to those uh, if you missed any of them. That was a real ministry to me, and so I just want to throw that out there to you. So this morning, I conclude this Fight Club series uh, on the topic of homosexuality. Oh, I'm sorry, of um, uh, human sexuality. I better get that right, shouldn't I? <laughs> human sexuality. And, and here's the thing. It's such a broad topic, is it not? It's such a broad topic. So I ask for your grace this morning, the fact that we only have about 25 minutes in which to really dive into this very, very broad topic. As a way to get started this morning, I just wanted to share a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm from Tulsa. My parents are from Tulsa. Uh, I grew up, or I was born at the St. Francis Hospital, Pink Hospital. My wife, she's from Tulsa. Her parents are from Tulsa. They're very plugged into this body. And so just kind of a rich understanding of what it is to look like in living in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We went to college in Oklahoma and then moved back to Tulsa and, and, and started raising our family. And then there was this time in this season of, of, of some wrestling. Um, I was at an oil and gas company and some opportunity came up to maybe jump from that to do something vastly different. But what that really required was leaving that which we knew, this place, and go to Brussels, Belgium, which is uh, a city across the pond in Europe. And, and that was a struggle. And my wife and I really kind of wrestled with uh, what that would look like. Could we do that? And so we took some cross-cultural orientation classes where they, they tell you, okay, get ready. Here's what you needed to be aware of. And so we sat through these this week-long uh, classes as they were trying to get us prepped and ready to go to do something that we'd never done before, never had traveled to Europe before. It's almost like a new parent, right? You, you, you read all the books and, and you feel like, okay, I think I'm ready. And then you have the child and you're like, okay, I'm not ready. It was a bit like that. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't do your homework and you shouldn't read and you shouldn't get yourself prepared. That's exactly what we did. But by the time we got over there, it was a real, real challenge. Like a new parent where you cry yourself to sleep sometimes thinking, can I, can I do this? Was I really prepared for this? And that's some of our struggling. I mean, months and months and I would say years of potentially, did we make a mistake? Because everything was different. Everything was new. The mundane things here that you don't even think about, filling up your car with gasoline. Yeah, I messed that up. Going to the grocery store. Like, they don't have sour cream over there. Did you know that? Sour cream? Who doesn't have sour cream? And so we had to substitute sour cream for Greek yogurt. It's not the same thing. It's not the same thing at all. Whipping cream. <laughs> they don't have whipping cream. And so my wife, uh, um, she realized that, you know, she again, took some of these classes that we could get this. Uh, it was a liquid, and she poured it into a bowl. And she said, honey, just whisk that up. So I'm whisking. I'm whisking. 15 minutes, I'm whisking. Well, what's supposed to happen? 
My forearm was shot. So anyway, eventually that whisked up to whipped cream. It's like, it's a lot easier just to buy it. Peanut butter. They don't have peanut butter over there. I mean, they do, but it's like what you would expect peanut butter to taste like, like kind of crunched up nuts, you know, peanuts. It's not that creamy, oily stuff that we've come to love. You know, they, no, no Peter Pan, no Jif, nothing like that. So when I would come back to the States with my family to, to, to revisit over Christmas, I just would ask for peanut butter. I'd stuff our bag with peanut butter and go back over there, and I just love peanut butter. Difficult, difficult transition for us. A lot of new things that we had to learn. Our kids were in a Dutch school. We didn't know Dutch. And so to help our kids with the language, my wife did great. She, she went to classes and she picked it up so quickly. I went to one class and I said, whatever part of the brain is responsible for picking up another language, I don't have it. Uh, I, like, I can't do this. Everything that we knew here was so difficult over there. It was such, such a challenge. The most difficult, I would say, for us, especially parents, when we went over there, my daughter was six, my son was three. Our youngest was actually born overseas. One of the biggest challenges for us was how Europe is just so much up front and out there in terms of sexual things, in terms of their sexuality. They're just, they just are. Their culture is vastly different, especially when we went over in 2004. I remember the first time we jumped into a car and we're driving on the highway, I saw an advertising and I thought, whoa, can they do that? Can they put that up there like that? Come to find out, they were selling toothpaste. And I was like, first of all, that doesn't sell toothpaste. And I don't think you can do that. So as I'm looking at that and the kids start their attention, I was like, whoa, kids, tram. We don't have trams. Look at the tram. Whatever we could do to divert our kids' attention away from this. But here's the deal. That was our new, that was our new normal. A culture that was just up there and out there and out front. And I realized this talk, you know, the talk. We're going to have to have the talk much earlier than what we'd ever anticipated before. So my wife and I start having conversations. The talk is coming. The talk is coming. For me, what kind of pushed me over the edge of like, okay, now's the time. My daughter came home from school one day and I was cutting up. We call them apple chips. It's just cutting up an apple in kind of these thin, chippy-looking slices. So I'm cutting it up and peanut butter. Got my peanut butter. Do my peanut butter thing. And she sits down and I pass her the plate and I say, how are you, how are you doing? How was your day at school? And she said, it was great, Dad. I learned something. Good. Sweetie, what did you learn? And she said, I learned how to be sexy. <laughs> I start coughing on my apple chip. <laughs> Sweetie. You learned how to be sexy? And she was, she was, yeah. And I said, would you show dad how to be sexy? And so she pushed herself away from the table, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what, what's going to happen here? And she starts doing this thing with her hair. She says, you just have to do this with your hair, hair dad. And she started doing this, like, whip it back and forth hair type of a thing, but in, like, slow motion. It was really impressive. <laughs> Two thoughts. First thought was, uh, that could have been a lot worse. It's not, not too bad. But then the next thought I had was time to have a conversation. Time to talk. Talked to my wife. Sat down with her at some future point, And we had the conversation. The talk. Birds, bees. Guess what? It was awesome. It went so well. 
It was like a conversation. She had questions. It was like a dialogue back and forth as we were speaking to one another. And it wasn't awkward. It wasn't strange. I thought, babe, after like two hours, I was like, that was no problem at all. Fast forward to two years. Same conversation with my son. Could not have gone worse. (laughs) Could not have gone worse. I just started talking about it, and I could just see him slouching down. I'm thinking, "Uh, okay, still cool. So we just, I kept plodding forward. The further I got into the talk, uh, the more he just kind of just inched backward. And by the end of it, his head was buried in the pillow. You would have thought that I'd have done better at like observing his body language and saying, this isn't going well. Pause, recalibrate, let's do something different. But no, I was committed. We're going to have this conversation. We're going to get it over with and it's going to be done. You're going to learn all about it today, right now. At the end, I said, son, do you have any questions? He was quiet the entire time. And he said, just please, dad, tell me I never, ever, ever have to do that ever, never. I said, well, maybe when you're 30 and you're married, but we can have that conversation much later, son. If you're a young parent, let me just encourage you by doing it completely wrong, is that our kids are different. Approach should be different. And oh, by the way, it is not a one-time, one-time conversation, one and done. You know, one talk. It's not like I had the talk, it's done, they're good to go, they know what they're supposed to do. It's a dialogue. And let me say this too, the dialogue should start happening now. It's never, it's never too early. And it's certainly never too late. So if you think, well, I got a middle school kid, they probably got it figured out, jump into that conversation. Because here's the deal. The culture very much is dominating what it is that they see in terms of sexuality. It's all over the place. We've got to have a voice in this conversation as parents. And here's the deal. As a church, we want to partner with you in that. Please don't look at us as, as an outsource. This is an amazing opportunity for you to have conversations with your kids indefinitely to be involved in that. As a church, we want to partner with you. Uh, I'm the director of student ministries, and so it's, it's somewhat of my responsibility. This month on Wednesday evenings, I'm so excited because these are the topics that we're talking about. In middle school, fifth and sixth, it's more appropriate in terms of age appropriateness. We talk about child parent relationship, that's important. Yes, we understand your parents frustrate you sometimes, but this is why that relationship's important. For 7th and 8th, we're talking about dateable. What's the right time to date? Do you put an age on it? What are you looking for in dating relationships? What are some of the struggles and challenges and temptations if you label this thing dating? And then in high school, I love this, LSD. It's a drug. And so can love, sex, and dating if you're not careful. So just so you know, we have conversations with students, but please, there's a responsibility that we have as parents, as grandparents even, I would say, to have conversations with our kids. You know, the biblical, kind of the affirmation of the the biblical principles could be distilled down to this, monogamy inside marriage, celibacy, and singleness. Now, there are some kids that would be like, I don't even understand what you just said. Exactly. It's our job to interpret that for them. We've got to have conversations with our kids about this beautiful thing called sex that God designed. God is not a prude God. Like, we should have confidence in the things that we speak about with our children.
these students over here, this is kind of my posse that I get to hang with. I'm so excited. These guys and girls over here, they're, all, they're very much on the front edge of a culture that I would say isn't just shifting, it is shifted. And it continues to shift at an incredible pace. At an incredible pace. So for some of us, me included, some of the things I'm like, oh my gosh, I, that's almost disheartening. But for them, it's normal. For some of us, like the internet came when I was in college. They've grown up with it. There are just certain challenges that we see that they don't see because they're in it. It's their normal. Just as an example of how much things have changed, gender identity used to be a pretty simple thing, right? Biology, doesn't that explain it? Well, maybe, maybe it used to, not so much anymore. Biology is really more about self-identification now. In fact, students educate me all the time on these new terms, pan-gender, gender-neutral. I didn't know what that was. Things have shifted, my friends. It is more complicated now than it used to be, and we have to understand that. We have to be students of the culture so that we know what our kids are dealing with and what they're grappling with and how we can speak truth into that. There's an openness now that there wasn't before in terms of exploring one's sexuality based on how one feels. You know, there's clothing designers, too, that have these unisex or sex-free gender-like clothing. They don't need, they're not boy, not girl, it's just, it's for people. We didn't have that back in the day. So the question becomes, how do we as, as believers, and I realize like we're not all Christians in this room, but if you are, the question has to, like, how do we engage in this? And I think that we can turn to the text and to scripture because Jesus lays out a framework for us that I believe encompasses what we're talking about today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's some underneath your seat or in the seat in front of you. It's a red Bible. I believe it's on page 1680, but it's John 17, verses 13 through 19. Jesus is speaking to a group of disciples, his friends, the people that had been walking with Jesus for three years of his life. And they have observed Jesus in the way he challenged the status quo, in the way that he challenged cultural norms. And this is just prior to him being arrested. And he prays a prayer for them. On their behalf, he's praying for his friends. Because he realizes, I'm not going to be here much longer, God. And they very much need you. And this is an excerpt of a prayer that he prayed for those people who were following him. I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. Now, how many of you, when you've read this, those that have grown up in church, can kind of distill this down to the whole idea of like, in but not of? 
Familiar? In the world, but not of the world. That's kind of how I came to, to understand it as well. Just kind of sum it up. In the world, but not of the world. But when I was younger, in the world, it's almost suggesting to me that, well, this is it. We're in this place, but we can't be of this place. And if we're in this place and we can't change our condition, then we might as well insulate ourselves from this thing called the world that we're not really supposed to be a part of. So we're in it, but we're not of it. So let's insulate ourselves and let's withdraw and let's have a powwow because the world hates us. So you know what? We'll just hate them back. And so our response then is to withdraw ourselves from this people group that are not like us, that don't think like us, that hate us. We might be in it, but let's not be of it. Now, very clearly, Jesus is saying, absolutely, you be different. You'd better be different. He says it four different times. Not of the world, not of the world, not of the world, not of the world. He's trying to make a point here. We're not supposed to be of the world. We are supposed to be different. But look at his next statement. As God sent me into the world, so I am sending you. You, my friends, me, we are a sent people. We need to get off the couch and go be a sent people. As God sent me, so I am sending you into that place, outside of these walls. But be different. Be different. And you are a sent people. So this idea of in the world but not of the world, let's reframe that right now. If you have the little notepad, let's write this down. Instead of saying in the world but not of the world, let's say this. Not of the world, but sent into the world. We are called to be different so that we can make a difference. We are called to be different so that we can actually make a difference in the world that Jesus is saying you are sent into. As I was sent, so shall you be. Here's the problem, and I'll be the first one to admit, there's a lot of times, my friends, that my world doesn't look much different than theirs. Do you feel that too sometimes? And I realize, like, we can go in all different directions right here, but I want to hone in on one area that I feel like is a real challenge and a real struggle that we as a people have got to confront, and this is the PG part of it too. Listen to some of these statistics. 12% of all websites, 35% of internet downloads are pornographic in nature. According to the research done by Baylor University, 47% of Christians admit to pornography is a problem in their house. 53% of men belonging to the Christian group Promise Keepers, which is an awesome organization, no doubt about it, they've admitted to viewing pornography once a week. There's some other statistics out of uh, Covenant Eyes. I'm sure some of you have heard of Covenant Eyes. Um, It's a monitoring software, online monitoring software, that that is a great tool. They say that more than half of boys and nearly a third of girls view their first pornographic image before they turn the age of 13. 20% of 16-year-olds, 30% of 17-year-olds have received a sext message, which is a text message with sexually explicit content. It's nothing new to these group over here. They know all about this. After researching one million pornographic searches on Google, more than one-fifth was done via cell phone. 
Complete anonymity here, friends. This can go anywhere with me. And as parents, we better be vigilant with this thing in our young people. They need us. This responsibility is too great to bear on their own. About 70, oh, I'm sorry, about 68% of young, of young men and roughly 18% of women have viewed porn at least once every week. Now, if you throw into that men and women who have viewed it, young people that have viewed it at least once a month, in addition to once a week, once or twice a month, that percentage jumps to 85% for men, 48% for women. That's staggering. That's staggering. But again, for my young friends, I think some of them might think to themselves, is that all? Really? Is that it? I always thought it was a much bigger problem than that. Now, I realize some of you might be sitting there saying, you know what? Porn has never been a problem for me. I'm, if you're like me, I'm old. Here's my age. Like I said, internet didn't come out until I was in college, so I didn't grow up with some of these temptations these young people do. So it might be the same true for you. You might, well, I never grew up, and that was never a problem. Jesus reinforces to us that for all of us, we may have to reconsider Because adultery is a real problem. It's been a problem for a long time. And Jesus helped remind the people of his day that adultery is more than just a physical act. Matthew 5, 27, 28 says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, hey, you've heard it said, hey, adultery is a bad thing. You shouldn't do it. But I tell you that anyone who looks on a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is a stark reminder. Adultery can happen if you're married or if you're not married, and it does not have to be a physical act. You can simply look at somebody lustfully, and you have committed adultery, and it should not be. It should not be. Whether you look at somebody at school, whether you look at somebody in the office, somebody at the gym, and you look at them in an adulterous way with lust, Jesus reminds us that we are all susceptible. We are all susceptible. He reminded the people back then, and he's reminding us today that if you think about those things, we are an adulterous people. So my friends, being reminded of this, we have got to be super vigilant. Super vigilant. We must be different to make a difference. So, Jesus does offer us a pretty radical solution. Okay. Something for us, if you've struggled with this and, you, and you're like, I don't want that in my life, but it's something that you struggle with and you've been in this place. Jesus offers us a solution. And I got to tell you, like I said, it's radical, but it's effective. The very next verse, Matthew 5, 29 says this. If your, eye, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge out your eye. Get rid of it. How's that for effective? You can't see anything. Gouge out your eye. Get rid of it. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Let's close in prayer. I'm kidding. (laughs) Thankfully for us, 
Thankfully for us, this is figurative language or we'd all be messed up. Thankfully, this is figurative language, but it is strong language, is it not? Jesus is using strong imagery to try to get your attention, to get my attention that we must be strongly looking for a way to root this stuff out of our world, out of our life. Be extreme. Whatever it takes, do it. Whatever means necessary, do it. Tracking software, install it. Covenant eyes, put it on your phone, put it on your computer, put it on your office computer. Be extra vigilant. Accountability, pray for it. Get it. Offer something to somebody. We can't do this walk on our own. We gotta have people that are partnered with us that we can trust that is gonna, that will be praying for us. We're never, we're not meant to do this thing in isolation, friends. Gym membership, you might have to cancel that sucker. Or maybe you have to transfer it to somewhere else. Or maybe you just get a little DVD and put it in your living room and do your crunches and all exercises up there. For real. Extra vigilant. You know, Billy Graham, the great Billy Graham, Reverend Billy Graham, he'd have all these like prayer vigils and he'd travel all over the U.S. You know what Billy Graham would do? He probably had his people do this, but he, he, he'd call up a hotel. Yeah, I'm Billy Graham. Um, I'm going to come and I'm going to stay there for a few nights. Here's the deal. If there's a TV in the room, I don't want it in there when I arrive. Rip it out. Get rid of it. Well, Billy Graham, we can't do that. Then I'll stay somewhere else that can. That's crazy. No, it's vigilant. He knew that he had to be different in order for him to make a difference. My son's a big sports guy, so last year my wife got him, it was, it was the greatest thing ever, she got him a, a subscription to Sports Illustrated, right? It's great. He didn't really like reading, but he'll read Sports Illustrated magazine. You know what the first thing I thought of? Swimsuit issue. I thought, that swimsuit issue is going to come to my house. It's going to be here. Then I forgot all about it, right? And I just go about my business. And then months, months, months later, I go to the, I go to the, what do you call that? Mailbox, thank you. Go to the mailbox, open it up. Ah! Game on, right? The game is on. And I take that and I'm like, I'm just going to recycle you right now. I kind of hold it like it's, I don't know, like it's alive. I'm, I'm going to the recycle bin to just dispose of it immediately. And I thought to myself, well, my, my wife was looking for a new suit. In some ways, I could really honor her by finding her something that she would love. No. And then I start having that, you ever feel like you're crazy sometimes, like you're talking to yourself? Yes, no, no, yeah, just one peek, no. Friends, and it's not always successful for me, but in that moment... I lifted up that lid, and I slammed that sucker down. Thank you. Thank you. But like I said, it doesn't always end that way, unfortunately. But in order for us to make a difference, we very much have to be different. Whatever extreme measure that we need to take, let's take that. My challenge for you this morning, and oh, by the way, the challenge that I have for myself as well, is that you would prayerfully consider 
What dramatic change will you allow God to make in your heart? Because here's the thing. I'm not talking about behavior modification. Like, I'm not saying, try harder. Try harder doesn't work, does it? I'm so tired of trying harder because I fail. I might do good for a week. We invite God through His Spirit into our world, into our heart, to transform us from the inside. That's what we do. We give Him unfettered access into our world and into our heart. That's where lasting change is very much possible. And maybe this morning you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus and you're tired of making the same mistakes over and over and over again and behavior modification isn't working for you either. Jesus very much wants to have a personal relationship with you. And you don't have to try, right? He does all the work. He did all the work. And if you have been in a place where you are just beating yourself up for mistakes that you've made in the past and mistakes that you made this morning, last night, the weekend before that, Jesus is saying, if you come to me and you confess your stuff, guess what? Your slate is wiped clean. And in order for you to be different and move forward, let's deal with where you are right now in this place. So if there are some things that you need to go to the Lord with and you need to confess some stuff, Brothers and sisters, let's do it. Because Jesus says, there's no condemnation in me. You come to me, you confess that stuff. Baby, I wipe that slate clean. And we move forward to be different. And I hold none of that stuff against you that you've done in the past. None of it. None of it. None of it. Let me close our time in prayer. And the band is going to lead us in one more song. And I pray that this song would just be kind of a, a charge for us, a reminder for us that we are not slaves to sin, baby. We are free. We are a free people. And we can go from this place in confidence that, man, there's no condemnation in Jesus. And for some of us, in order to be different today, we need to deal with some stuff back then. But we can be different today so that when we go out into the world, we can make a difference. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning that we can gather in a place and have the confidence that you meet us here. And God, it's not just even in this church, God, that you meet us and you administer to our hearts. God, I pray for my brothers and my sisters here that we would give you unfettered access to our heart. Lord, that there's no condemnation in you, that whatever we've done in the past, God, you have taken care of, you have forgiven us, you give us the capacity to be different people so that in this world, we can make a difference. We love you, Father. We ask all these things in the powerful and the life-giving name of Jesus. Amen.